1: Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Internet of Things with Game Changers, presented by SAP, the best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's future with totally new sources of information that will change the way you run your business. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham.
0: Yes, I am. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the game changers, you're in the right place. Nobody ever asked me why I say welcome three times, but it goes back to my early live talk radio days on WGBB AM 1240, uh, in, on Long Island, the oldest AM station on Long Island. And I used to have three guests in the studio. So I'd look around the table and I'd say welcome, welcome, welcome. And the habit stuck. And it just so happens that on most of our SAP game changers radio panels, we have three people also. So I'm doing my shout out, being polite. The today, of course, is IOT. If you've been hiding under a rock, a big one, that's Internet of Things. Let's get started. Whenever we talk about the Internet of Things, we typically focus mostly or exclusively on the concept of processing massive amounts of data. You know everything's connected, and we have sensors, and this data is literally pouring, streaming in. It's coming, and it's teeming, and what are you going to do with it? But we don't often talk about what this means to management. What can manage? due to change In your organization to cope with this, simply put, you may need new management practices in place to take advantage of the fact that for the first time ever, 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 everyone who needs real time information about your company can share it real time and they can do it poof right now. This may require giving up some control. Oh my goodness, did she say the control word? Your senior managers may have to relinquish control of what was traditionally known as top down data flow. They were in charge controlled who got it when they got it and how they got it is your organization ready are your managers ready we have a panel of experts and i must say they're back three wonderful speakers and i have to do an announcement the three of you i'm not calling you thought leaders anymore i heard that that's an old-fashioned term you're now big thinkers so i'm just going to lay that on the three of you let me introduce my first panelist and you'll see why i said that and it's a happy birthday one day late to w david stevenson the internet of things thought leader i'm calling him a big thinker, especially on his big birthday at Stevenson Strategies. And here's a quote David sent me from Tim Berners-Lee. And those of you scratching your head, Tim Berners-Lee, also known as Timble, that's T-I-M, cap B, cap L, is an English computer scientist best known as the inventor of the World Wide Web. And he's going to be celebrating his big 60th birthday on June 8th. But David Stevenson had a birthday yesterday. Here's the quote, The web as I envisaged it. We have not yet seen it. The future is still so much bigger than the past. David Stevenson, happy birthday. How are you?
2: I'm fine, Bonnie. And um, uh, it's a little awkward quote, I'm afraid, from Tim Berners-Lee. But I think the big point is that um, we really have only the surface on uh, the IoT, and it's going to be um, a tremendous transformation in every aspect of our business. And as I said, you know, and and Bonnie said in the introduction, I don't think that the management aspect of it has gotten enough attention so far. So it's going to be neat.
0: Well, David, is this going to be scary for managers, the idea of giving up control of of where the data sits, who owns it, who controls the flow, who decides how it's going to come out on the other side? You know, I think we used to call those people marketing managers and PR managers. What are you saying about our company and do you have permission? And now it's everywhere. So is this going to be a paradigm shift? Is this going to be a psychotic break, if you will, in terms of how the managers react and interact with that data? Thoughts? I think it.
2: Yeah, I think it is going to be a big shift for a lot of managers because um, in the in the past it actually sort of made sense in an era of limited information that managers would uh, be the ones who would harvest that data and would interpret and then pass on and on a need to know basis to other mm-hmm. people. And now um, it, it this is such a fundamental transformation that everyone who needs data can share it instantly, and that is just a real game-changer.
0: Seriously. Thank you very much, David. And again, happy birthday. Hope you thank had a good you. one. And we're happy to have you on the day after. And let's turn to our second panelist also returning. We've got a triumvirate here. It's David Yonker. I'll spell that in case you're looking for him online. It's J-O-N-K-E-R. He's a Senior Director of Big Data Initiatives at SAP. And here's a quote from the documentary, The Human Face of Big Data. And I quote, we are now being exposed to as much information in a single day as our 15th century ancestors were exposed to in their entire lifetime. Overwhelm me now, David Yonker. How are you?
3: Good. How are you, Bonnie? Thanks, for, thanks again for well. having me on the show.
0: We're delighted. So t- You don't have any birthdays in the in the recent past or the near future. We can do a shout-out to you, do you?
3: I uh, I had one in April. I did. Okay.
0: Very belated. Happy birthday, then. There you oh, go. You. Okay. So talk to me about this quote. First of all, just why don't you tell us a little bit about the human face of big data. I know that documentary is near and dear to you. And then uh, talk to me about the quote.
3: Yeah, it's, it's a uh, documentary that SAP sponsored, um, but uh, was uh, developed, actually, by uh, two fairly uh, well-known individuals. Um, Rick Smolin, who is a, he's an internationally renowned uh, photojournalist and, and has actually created quite a few different books and, and it started as actually creating a book called The Human Face of Big Data. Um, and then he teamed up with his brother, Sandy Smolin, who happens to be a critically acclaimed Hollywood director. Um, and uh, and the, the documentary very much explores this idea of how uh, data and big data, and really the Internet of Things, right? As we have sensors, uh, impact us in a, in a very significant way, for better and for worse, right? There's a there's, mm-hmm. a, there's a there's a there's always a dark lining, or can be a dark lining, right? As people look at technology and how to apply it, um, but lots of positive uh, opportunities, right, to reshape our world in interesting ways. So the um, the quote itself, uh, you know, it's kind of a, a boring quote. We often hear these kinds of, uh, you know, statements. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's so much more data than there was before. Um, but the thing I like about this this quote specifically, when it talks about being more data, is it, it talks about the 15th century and and this idea of uh, maybe if we don't go quite back to the 15th century, but we go back a ways, um, you know, a lot of our our um, economic, uh, political, social. Uh, organizations were developed uh, in a world where uh, information was very sparse. Um, and today we live in a world where uh, information is very abundant and it's becoming much more abundant. Mm. We're attaching, you know, by 2019, 2020 kind of thing, we'll be attaching centers, sensors to so many different things. Um, and how does that change, uh, you know, how we manage our world uh, economically, politically, socially, all that kind of stuff?
0: David, a question for you. Many of us On this call, well, David Stevenson and I, at least, were not born in the era of big data. We were not born in the era of sensors, and it may still be new and somewhat of a shock to us. But the millennials, the really young ones, many of whom are already in the workforce, uh, they're digital natives. Is this something they expect to have access to that data every split second of every nanosecond of every minute of every day? Uh, In other words, they don't know any better this is the world they were born into, and they expect it's only going to get more and more. Are they more comfortable with this, or do you think some days they kick back and say, oh, my God, I wish I had the nerve to turn off all my devices and just be alone and quiet for 15 minutes? Any thoughts on that?
3: Yeah, I do. I I've, I've actually have three uh, young daughters who are essentially digital natives and have uh, been living that dream or um, – you know, in, in different ways, ways, our house is full of selfies. It's constant selfie mm-hmm. after selfie, right, um, mm-hmm. posting out to, to the Internet. And um, actually a couple of years ago, we we lost our Internet connection uh, into <gasps> the home. And oh. uh, it, for for four days, we had nothing. We were cut off. And, and everything went over the Internet for us. It goes over the Internet. Our television watching, our phone, mm-hmm. uh, the whole works. And, uh, I mean, they were – you could see the withdrawal symptoms kicking in. Um, the uh, so, so they are uh, very much connected. I, I do think that sometimes, um, you know, as a parent, maybe this is my own sort of view, <laughs> view of their world. Um, I think that they do want to disconnect, you know, that they, they got to learn how to set boundaries, different kinds of boundaries, maybe than we did. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but but then, you know, a lot of people sort of say, well, they, they look at these, uh, you know, the digital natives and say, well, this is unhealthy. Uh, and I don't think that's necessarily true either, right? I, I think it's just different. Um, and it's different than the world that we live in or have lived in uh, or I lived in as a young child. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and things just have to change and adjust to, towards that.
0: Thank you. I was going to gonna make a glib remark. I'll keep it very vague. About three years ago in New York, we had a now very famous and very huge hurricane that impacted our ability to connect to the web, and we lived without it, some of us, for eight days, and it was, (gasps) really, really, really? Okay. Thank you very much, David, (laughs) for the insights. Ira Burke is back. Ira Burke is most recently Vice President of Solutions Go to Market at SAP. I know he's waiting for a new title this week, hopefully, and Ira sent me a quote from W. Edwards Deming. Those of you who don't know who he is, he's an American engineer, statistician, professor, author, lecturer, and management consultant who is often quoted. And here's one of probably his most famous quotes. In God we trust, all others must bring data. Ira Burke, rounding out our triumvirate of returning David David plus Ira. I, there must be something biblical about that. How are you, Ira Burke?
4: <laughs> Doing great, Bonnie. Thanks very much for uh, for having me back. And uh, I think it, it's interesting to look at, at Deming in this context because, you know, 60 years ago he was out, you know, capturing data where no data was being captured at all. Right? And, uh, and I think it goes to not only the fact that there are more sensors bringing data, but also it takes a little bit of um, – Proactive behavior, right, to go out and figure out what needs to be measured, what can be measured, and how that information is going to be brought together to make a real difference. And he was doing that, uh, certainly without a lot of technological support, uh, to, uh, to measure what hadn't been measured and to, uh, to make improvements in business and manufacturing from, uh, from taking a creative look at the data.
0: Ira, do you think there was a sense of being overwhelmed as he was finding data, as he was collecting it before all of these tools we have today are just part of the fabric of our lives? Do you think he was saying, wow, there's a lot of stuff out there? Or do you think it was just, hmm, I'm just going to take this one step at a time?
4: No, I'm sure he was hungry for more than he could possibly get. Um, but, um, uh, but there was, because there were so many unanswered questions and so many obvious questions that nobody had bothered to ask until he came along and asked them. And, uh, and, and, uh, when you look back at what, uh, David Stevenson was saying, right, that, that we, you know, that, mm-hmm. you know, Tim Berners-Lee still doesn't know what this is going to look like. We're in a sense in that stage as well. The data's out there. It's coming together. We're gathering the tools. The world is changing, but we're not entirely clear on just how many things we can do with it and how it's going to come together.
0: And that's where the fun is, not knowing yeah. and, and guessing and working on it. Question for you, Ira, before I go back to David Stevenson and find out what the birthday boy was drinking yesterday. I'm sure that will be interesting. Um, Ira... Thoughts about what, what I mentioned in the intro about the fact that with all of this data, we're going to need new management practices to relinquish some of the control, to relinquish the need-to-know, damn it, and I'm the one who will tell you when you need to know. Uh, talk, talk to me. Any thoughts on the management aspect?
4: Um, well, for sure, right, that it is uh, it is a, uh, a changing world. And so, and this is true, you know, data is just one aspect, and, you know, IoT is just one aspect that uh, a manager in general needs to be aware of the changing environment, changing practices, changing demands. This is an extra impetus. This is a shift in power to some degree. Uh, Your employees know more, your customers know more, but you also know more. As a manager. And so it's uh, in case you're not already being creative and how you you use the information and how you're running a business and how you understand what your priorities are, what you can't do today that you used to be able to do yesterday, and what you might be able to do tomorrow. Um, This is another really important source of input for the future of the practice.
0: Thank you, Ira. You are a big thinker. That was a very quotable moment. Thank you very much. Let's circle back to David Stevenson. Happy Birthday again. What were you drinking yesterday, or what are you drinking right now? Give me something oh oh I interesting drink- right
2: now i yes. um, as a uh, as a student of history um I am drinking some uh, Kenyan coffee, which, if memory serves, was the birthplace of coffee and it's rich and bold and hey, that's what I like to be so <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's a good one, David. That's a memorable moment. David Yonker, I won't ask you to top that, but what are you drinking?
3: Well, uh, right now I'm just drinking some water, but I I have a cup, actually, uh, where I've been drinking. Last night I was drinking uh, uh, one of my birthday gifts from from back in April. My my wife had ordered... a service where i get uh, a bunch of craft beer showing up at my door um Ooh. uh yeah every every other month and so uh last night i was drinking a, a can of heller high water craft beer um
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i got it i got it <laughs> yeah.
3: sort of like a precursor to the internet though right i you order online and things it get it delivered shows to your up. door.
0: It shows up. David, I have to tell you, one of our panelists on, I've, I've done, I think, four or five radio shows for SAP this week. One of our panelists' dream is to travel the world parts of the world on a bicycle, on a bike tour, and to punctuate his trip by staying at or near craft breweries along the way. So it would be bike by brewery or brewery by bike, and that's his his dream of a lifetime. So maybe you'll meet him along the way, or you're just going to sit home and you're going to wave to him when he sends postcards and the beer's coming right to your door. I think I like that solution better. Thank you, David, and belated happy birthday again to you. Ira Burke, any birthdays in your, your uh, near or recent future past? Well, you know,
4: not, not for me, but my son just had a milestone birthday this week, so big um, like 21 What's his... this week.
0: So. Oh, Mazel so What's he, his name?
4: Uh, Aaron. So uh, Aaron? Happy
0: birthday yeah. to Aaron. Very, And that makes you older. That makes you well uh, That it makes does. you a lot older, Dad. And what are you drinking to celebrate being much older now, Ira Burke?
4: You know, you know it's just my usual cup of uh, Colombian uh, you know, half-calf, half-decaf, but I'm thinking the Bold and Rich might be a better choice.
0: I think that sounds really good and David Stevenson just a bit of history here in 1893 the coffee from Brazil was introduced into Kenya and Tanzania which was Tanganyika not far from its place of origin in Ethiopia 600 years prior ending its transcontinental journey that's just aha uh-huh. of...
2: I stand corrected
0: <laughs> well well it's it's up to how valid you believe Wikipedia is or isn't and there was a <laughs> right. a, a great piece on Wikipedia I I think it was on either 60 Minutes last week or CBS Sunday morning about the people who are such sticklers for good grammar and punctuation that there are legions of them around the world who voluntarily step up and correct everything on wikipedia there's one man who can't stand the word the phrase comprised of so he has an algorithm that searches for every occurrence of comprised of anywhere on wikipedia we're talking billions of pages and goes in and manually corrects it to compose wow. of." well bonnie oh, I, I haven't
2: always been preoccupied with the internet of things i'm actually a uh, retired co- uh, Lieutenant Colonel with the Massachusetts State Grammar Police. So, <laughs> uh, but, you know, oh, that's a, I. Just... That's a lifetime job, even if you're retired. So Honey, I remember I... that a couple weeks ago, yeah. uh, the online version of the Boston Globe had a slew of grammatical errors, and I actually felt Ooh. compelled to call Yay. them and say, hey, "What is up here?" <laughs> and
0: what did, so I, what did they say that? to you? What did they say? What was their response to you before we go to break? Tell us quickly. They actually were
2: uh, very complimentary, and they thanked me very much and actually asked me to, to follow with an email um, citing chapter and verse on the mistakes. So I, was, I felt vindicated there
0: you have been acknowledged and vindicated and recognized. And I say, applause, applause, applause. There you go. And if you'd been a millennial, I don't know if they would have paid attention to, but you're venerable now, David Stevenson. (laughs) So let's just leave it alone. We are talking today to David Stevenson, David Younger, Ira Burke, my my, uh, legendary triumvirate here on the IoT side. Our topic is, once again, at the intersection of big data and the Internet of Things, part three. And we're focusing on management today. Does your management need to shift and pivot and turn and become more flexible in terms of giving up control of what they used to control on a need-to-know basis. We're talking data, data, and more data. We're going to delve and dive into this more when we come back from the break, and David Stevenson will lead off our roundtable. I'm still Bonnie D. happy to be here with my returning three, my big thinkers, and we'll be right back. So don't even think of touching that mouse. You know the drill, that app, that dial. Brad Brad out.
1: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The pace of innovation is moving faster than ever, and the future of business will be defined by how quickly business leaders adapt to accelerated ongoing change. Insights from totally new sources of data. Sensors that capture and share what is happening in your business environment. And the tools to understand it and act on it. These are shaping the definition of future success. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how business leaders can shape the future of change. Internet of Things with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. to business? You'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Internet of Things with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Now, let's get back to Internet of Things with Game Changers.
0: Back talking today with David Stevenson, David Yonker, and Ira Burke. And our topic is part three of At the Intersection of Big Data and the Internet of Things. If you want to join us on Twitter, we're at hashtag SAP Radio. That's easy to remember. Okay. David Stevenson, you've been nominated, not because of your birthday, but because I put you first in the lineup, to open our round table. <clears throat> I'm looking at your notes and I found something very interesting here talking about how managers will have to shift their practices and their mindset about what are you doing with all this data swirling around that people are going to get to whether you like it or not. You say, as part of such a shift, managers will need to reduce data silos, allowing various departments to examine real-time data simultaneously. I'm not sure whether the keywords in there are very allowing or various departments or simultaneously. Why don't you expand this for us, David? Bonnie,
2: I think actually it's the, the key thing is the simultaneous aspect. That we we just never had this opportunity before, and and again going back to the past, it probably did make sense historically, in, in an era of limited data, and where most of the data was historical, to have senior management control it. But um, today, with this opportunity to have simultaneous uh exposure to the data and on a real time basis i don't think it does anymore and in fact um not to pimp for it, sap but i really do think one of the best examples i have seen is with um uh, and i'll say this as, as the only non sap person here um that uh, one of the best examples i've seen of this change in attitude is with your prototype vending machine. Um, You know, it was great in terms of how it could affect marketing. Basically, uh, the concept behind it was that uh, the uh, vending machine uh, used near-field communication, and if a uh, user opted in, it would actually recognize them, would offer them special deals based on their history, you know, even recognize them by name. Um, So, That alone was pretty neat, but here's what I think the magic sauce was, and it really is almost sort of a a magical thing, that they didn't stop there. At the same time, the data from the sensors on the vending machine was also shared with the logistics people, so that, for example, you could have on a hot summer day, a uh, vending uh, a, a, a truck that was going to resupply the machines might be heading to uh, some mall or something like that, and suddenly you get this data that it's an extremely hot day at the beach and consumption is way up. And without any human intervention on a machine-to-machine basis, that truck gets rerouted To the beach. And I think that is where it's a great illustration of how if you bring differing perspectives to bear on the exact same set of data at the same time, Mm -hmm. what you're going to see is synergies. And that's something that we really haven't seen much in the past. Individual departments have had their own interpretations of the data, and then they pass it on to the next one. And we've never had this opportunity to share that right away and bring differing perspectives to bear on the same thing. So I see both new creativity and I also see an unprecedented level of efficiency coming out of this because um, you are going to be able to eliminate waste and you're going to have – Uh, Things that are going to happen at the same time rather than sequentially, and that is a real game-changer.
0: It is, and I'm thinking as you're talking, David, that there will be no excuses. I didn't know. We didn't plan the market right. We didn't move this machine here. We didn't move that there. That's a great insight thank you in no excuses that we were talking somebody was talking about no excuses jeans which are still around in vintage form on ebay if you really 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 want to pair um no excuses that the data's is there damn it bob why didn't you do this why didn't you do well i didn't know well the data was in somebody no stop no excuses thank you david david yonker joined this what do you think
3: yeah i um I agree at some level. I think that uh, actually David touched on uh, an important point, right? Uh, in his example, where you've got data flowing from, um, uh, you know, essentially the the vending machine out to mm-hmm. the truck and, and handling the delivery, um, the, the the information sharing happening there, though, in, in that example, is actually uh, very much through an algorithm. It's not necessarily individuals making that kind of real time connection. You've mm-hmm. got you you've got, you've, you, you've got um, and I guess what I'm getting at is that uh, as we start to to collect more and more data and we want to get a lot more um, granular in the decisions that we make, I'm not sure the human brain can handle that. Um, uh-huh. And so we'll, we'll see more and more where algorithms are taking place, taking over, right? I mean, in some ways, the silos that existed within organizations before, um, you know, were uh, ways to roughly approximate um, you know the the state of the world um so that people can make decisions and uh uh you know if we go back to calculus right I mean you've got kind of these these wide uh divisions if you like, and as you get narrow and narrow uh closer to the uh the function if you like in terms of estimating the area under the graph um y- you know it becomes there's too many of them for our brain to 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 handle, and so you're you, where in fact you need more and more algorithms to do that. Um, I think that has positive sides. That has uh, that has some negative sides to it as well, though.
0: <clears throat> Overwhelmed. Thank you very much, Ira Burke. Join us. We have two sides of a coin here. What do you where do you weigh in?
4: Well, so so I think the uh, I think the answer was up being a blend of the two. Um, you know, just just for an example, I had a chance um, a, a couple years back to work with a, a service in the New York area that, uh, delivers groceries to people's homes. And the way that service was running at first was, uh, you know, everybody who was getting a delivery had their order packed in a central warehouse. Those orders were placed on trucks and the trucks went out to make their deliveries and then things would happen, right? There would be traffic, there would be delays, somebody's not home. And, uh, some trucks got through their, uh, deliveries very efficiently, um, and would wrap up quickly and head back, and others were slogging through, trying to get through and have this big truck full of groceries that are getting older and warmer and need to get to where they're going. And by using the data and combining the, uh, the personal information, person putting his hand up and say, hey, I've finished my deliveries, with the information about where's the nearest truck that could use your help, and then starting double people up, right? So somebody becomes free and then they, because they have data, about all the routes that are going on and where can I, where can I go be of most use uh, to, uh, to make that process more efficient uh, by combining the availability of somebody to do the work with an opportunity to do
0: something productive. Thank you. David Stevenson, we've gone around the table and come back to you. What are your thoughts on what your two co-panelists have shared? Yeah, I think um,
2: I, I would agree uh, with Ira, and I think that it's going to be an interesting interplay. Part of it is... Um, David's algorithms, which which really will be important because of the volume of data. But in addition, you need the issue of human insights as well and bringing multiple perspectives to bear on the same data at the same time. Um, I think I have um, mentioned on one of our prior engagements the um, example of what IBM did with um, the medical staff at the Hospital for Sick infants in Toronto where they had they plastered the uh, bassinets with sensors and I can't remember the number but it was some astronomical number of data points from every single baby in a day and by analyzing this and and again this was very much a human uh, operation that uh, they uh, the medical staff and the IBM people the data scientists looked at this data simultaneously and noticed the most incredible thing, that um, when um, a baby was going to come down with a, um, a virus, that the day before, their heartbeats would start to fluctuate widely. And um, they checked this out on, uh, under multiple cases, and they found that it really was a uh, significant trend and the bottom line from a human perspective was that they were actually able to intervene a full day before there were the kids were exhibiting any visual signs of illness and start doing the ivs at that point and um really curtail uh, the the infection so i thought that was a glorious example of this and and i do think also in in line of what uh, line with what david was saying is that um part part of the problem with all of this data is we really just don't because of the isolation of the individual departments uh, we really don't have a history of the re- i think the reason why i cited that SAP cases i actually don't know of any other than the IBM one of many cases where you actually have had these differing perspectives being applied at the same time and i think that probably what's going to evolve over time is a combination of the automated, the the um algorithms to process the data and the human where differing departments will be able to analyze the data simultaneously and come up with the solutions that uh, none of them would have come up with operating on their
0: own. Thank you. David Yonker, any uh rebuttal here? Or are you good?
3: No, well yeah actually the um so, so i I, did, I have more of a clarification i guess mm-hmm. um so so uh so i actually agree with what david's saying right i, I think that uh, my my comment earlier was you know when it comes to to the daily operation of things you'll see a lot of algorithms sort of taking place um but the development of those algorithms will require collaboration. So, so there will be breaking down of silos. So, uh, you know, um, in terms of of figuring out how to interpret that data across the various groups, but you'll see more of a shift towards. Um, it's not a, um, you know, something uh, decisions that are getting made in the moment uh, by people. The, the decisions get made in the moment by algorithms. Uh, and people will be the ones sort of in the back reflecting on, you know, what all this data means and how do we um, tweak the algorithm over time and evolve it, right? It's, it's less of a, a reactive sort of uh, uh, engagement and more of a um, strategic engagement, if you like.
0: Thank you very much. I'm ready to go. Boy, that sounded like uh, like an Elvis thing. I'm sorry, it just came out wrong. Thank you very much, David Yonker. David, I want to move into a slightly different direction. I'm looking at, David Yonker, your notes from before the show. couple of places I'd like to go. I was going to originally ask you to talk about how IoT, the irony that is changing the corporate-consumer relationship, but something else caught my attention, and we can segue into that. Uh, just a little level setting, I like to call it. You say the Internet is not an easily managed Thing, No pun intended. We're talking about the Internet of Things. It's organic. It's managed by no one and everyone all at the same time. crosses international boundaries like a highway. It has rush hour, construction, lane closures, and sometimes a complete section shutdown. And you get nice people. You get rude people. You get criminals. You get good people. And some people who just want to be left alone. Can you just do a little bit of level setting for us? On, let's, let's refresh. What is the Internet? What is Internet of Things? And why is it so important to this conversation?
3: Yeah, it, early on companies were building their their networks or their IT infrastructure. Uh it, w- it was very high control, right? You had your mm-hmm. IT department, they built the the networks internally, you know, they managed all the data centers. Um They would lease lines between various uh, cities, right, for communication over over private networks, all that kind of stuff. Um, And so it was was a very sort of high-control, very carefully managed uh, environment, if you like. Um, What we're talking about with the Internet of Things, uh, well, uh, for starters, companies have been shifting, right? More and more has been sort of uh, going over the Internet, Um, especially for large multinational corporations. you, You know, you can't lease lines for everything. Um, but, uh, but now when we start talking about things, right, we're, we're starting to talk about, for example, uh, a vending machine, um, let's, let's build on that example, right? I've got a vending machine that I've deployed, you know, in some retail store. Well, I'm not, I'm not going to have a, a leased line to that, to that vending machine. I'm not going to control that internet, that network connection. I'm going to run that over the internet. That's going to be the cheapest thing I can do. Mm-hmm. But now that means I'm running over uh, essentially, uh, in many ways, a, a public infrastructure. Right? It's not something I actually control. Um, you know, I probably don't control that Wi-Fi hotspot in that retail store. I probably don't control the, the the network connection from there to the you know the the local service provider. All that kind of stuff. Um, and 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 all of those lines are shared. Uh, different data from different people are all going over that um, and uh, and so it takes a shift in mentality, I think for i t. right? And how do you manage this kind of infrastructure? It, it, the data may even be going to, for example, other warehouses. maybe it's I'm hosting the data in the cloud, I'm not bringing it to my own data center, um, you know, which has a whole other host of um, uh, you know um, changes in how you manage that from an i t. perspective. Um, so that's kind of where, where I'm coming from with that.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Ira Burke, join us. Thoughts?
4: Um, you know, it's, uh, I think th- when, when the technology environment is changing like this, you always need to go back and revisit your initial objectives, your initial assumptions, and see if there is a, a different way, a cheaper way, a better way to accomplish what you set out in the first place. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's a few years ago when maybe a lease line or a, or a dial-up, a direct dial-up, might have been the only option. And uh, and and those things, uh, you know, as that changes now, there's a a broader array of possibilities, right? So um, just just as an example, right? So we have a home security system that um, you know always used to be set up as a as a dial-up. Um, and uh, And now it also has a radio backup, right so not using the internet, but has a second method of communication that 's become available that that the electronics have made cheaper and more practical over time and uh, And so, as the technology evolves in general, um, there, are, uh, there are new ways, new opportunities, chance to revisit how things were working, and um, the internet and the Internet of Things just accelerate that process, create new opportunities, and maybe new chances for redundancy or for doing things we didn 't think of at the beginning.
0: Thank you, Ira. David Stevenson, thoughts on this?
4: Well, you know, it's interesting, Bonnie. I, um, I used to do
2: uh, crisis communication you know, with terrorism attacks and, and natural disasters using uh, social media and and mobile devices. And um, I, uh, I was uh, user at 265 out of the 500 million on Twitter because I immediately saw... That this kind of thing of real-time location-based information could be absolutely uh, critical in a disaster, and I think I, you know, I agree. One of the things that happens uh, with that is that sometimes you get some out-and-out mistakes, uh, and they often get repeated. Um, we've seen this in Boston with the Sernayev uh, trial; that um, mm-hmm. there were some uh, really erroneous reports on. Um, uh, who actually had done it and some people were unfairly targeted for that. And then eventually all of the data started to come out and they were a- positively able to uh, to finger the these guys. And I think that one of the, going back to the issue of management change, one of the really important attitudinal shifts with the IoT is going to be um, that we're going to need to embrace ambiguity. There's not going to be a right or wrong answer, but things are going to emerge, sometimes at blindingly fast speed, um, from all of this uh, uncontrolled data. So people who are obsessed with top-down control are going to have a real problem, and it really is going to require a mind shift.
0: Thank you. User number 265, now we know who you really are. Thank you very much. I'm going to ask if there's anything you haven't done, but then you and I would get into a long discussion that would be way past the time we have left on the show. Thank you. Ira Burke, I'm looking at your notes. I see some very interesting new information here. You say the emerging field of video content analytics translates video images into data about what's happening in the video Talk to me. This is this brand brand new, or is this something I'm late to the party? Understanding. Talk to me.
4: You know, it's 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 emerging over time, and it goes to the question of where we're getting our uh, where we're getting our data from, and what data is available in the environment, right? So like, you take the example of a uh, you know, <clears throat> let's say a, a camera in a in a retail store, which may have been placed there originally to prevent shoplifting, right? but if you think about it right you've got a source of information that people um in different organizations in that retail store might be very interested in right watching customer buying patterns knowing how many people are going down a particular aisle the path people follow through the store and of course, you know, the, the video camera is not the only way that's captured. It's one of the ways. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can start to develop sources of data, and especially now the technology comes and can start to take apart the picture and, and you know, in an, in an automatic algorithmic way, start to explain what's happening in that picture, provide alerts, you know, whether it's you know, just letting you know when there's motion or doing something more intelligent about face recognition, who's in the picture, how many people are there, what are they doing, um, that starts to create new data sources um, if you just know where to look for them.
0: Interesting. Let's segue that, uh, Ira into one more point from your notes. You say the amount of personal data is exploding and the challenge, which we all know is how to analyze it and how to derive value. But the bottom line is we all want to protect our privacy or whatever shred is left of privacy today in our global connected sensor driven world. So what are your thoughts about being identified? You know, we see this on crime procedurals all the time on, on TV, the CSI series and the NCIS and they have now have CSI cyber, which I watch every Wednesday night, and it's actually very, very interesting. I know, I know, I'm a CSI addict. So uh, the question is, uh, what are your thoughts on, and is there anything left to privacy to protect, or is it way, talk about, we started talking about Internet of Things data no longer being under the control of managers, but let's flip it to the personal side. Can we control anything of where we appear on a sensor or in a picture or video anywhere? Thoughts?
4: Well, also, so I think one of the problems is you're perennially behind the curve, right? So think about just how much information is available, is able to be captured, is able to be analyzed. That wasn't before. So, so, and the technology is way ahead, way ahead of uh, the thinking and the capabilities and the organization, uh, and the legal environment around privacy. Right, so uh, you know, it would have been ridiculous five years ago to talk about your clothes sending off personally identifiable information about you mm-hmm. um, to who knows where, right? That uh, you know, do you need to you know to check off a a click box, an agreement of data, before you buy a uh, a shirt that has embedded internet sensors in it that are measuring your fitness, right? That uh, that were just not there, and so and, and this is just accelerating. Right, the more information that's capturing. You know, I was reading this week that it's possible now for uh, airlines to embed sensors in seats. Right, and from that you can detect all kinds of things about the passengers who are sitting on a plane. If the airline chooses Uh-oh. to do that, yeah. Right. So, uh, so uh, you know, and you know, for for any kind of reasons, whether it's medical issues, whether it's security issues, right, that there is now, and, and of course they know who's sitting or at least who's supposed to be sitting in the seat um so uh, so the the amount of information the questions that can be raised um are just moving at a much faster pace than our typical ability to deal with them so that's from a privacy perspective it's not uh it, it's not particularly encouraging but maybe that's offset by other benefits
0: I, I hope so. David Yonker, I want to now go back, circle back to one of your notes, comments that we, we bypassed because we were talking about the interpretation of the web. You say there's an irony in how IoT, Internet of Things, changes the corporate-consumer relationship. On the one hand, the things in IoT will help corporations help them know more about consumers than ever before, but the Internet and IoT is eroding the control corporations have with the information communicated to consumers. You want to expand that for me?
3: yeah for sure so so we have uh you know we live in a world where um you can take personal action um more than ever before uh and um, you know, companies were able to control uh, the flow of information about them before, right? If you had unhappy customers, yeah, they would tell their personal network over the phone or, you know, at coffee time or when they got together. Um, but it wasn't this broad sort of blast that would happen out on social media. That's all very new. Um, and so, so information that companies don't want to spread, um, you know, happens a lot faster than than they had hoped. Of course, infor- the the positive to that is that the information that they do want to spread can also move very quickly. Um, but the point is that they have a lot less control over that, right? How they manage the perception of of. Uh, uh, how people view them and uh, and how people take sort of action against them, that I think is changing how the relationship that they, that corporations need to have with consumers. Um, it needs to be a lot more personal personal it needs to be uh, a lot more authentic um, and um, uh, you know along those sorts of lines it can 't just be all about the bottom line uh, and managing to the dollar the the um, uh, so the, how do you do that, right? How do you do that in a scalable way? You can't have – I mean, we all I, – I, I do anyway. I love uh, – I've got to a, actually a, – uh, there's a local bookstore uh, where I'll go in and, and get my books from, um, even though it's convenient to order them online. And I, and I do order some books online. But uh, you go in and, you know, the people there, the staff, right, you talk to them. There's a personal relationship that, that builds. Um, mm-hmm. As a corporation, how do you do that, right? How do you build that personal authentic relationship in a scalable way. You know, you can't have every employee managing uh you know the relationship with whatever 10,000 customers. Um, you know, it just doesn't scale. So you have to tap in information um, to learn about these people so that you can do that in a very uh very deliberate way. It feels a little bit phony, uh, you know, mm-hmm. at some level, but but I think it's necessary. Uh companies will have to do that.
0: Thank you. David Stevenson, join us. Thoughts on what your colleague David Younger just said?
3: Yeah, you know, one of the things
2: that I find really fascinating about this, and again, where I think there's going to have to be an attitudinal shift to go along with the technological, is that when a lot of corporations started to get involved with social media, um, I think they really were thinking about it just as a PR uh, thing in terms of, you know, new product announcements and all sorts of stuff like that. But what I think is really cool about it and why those people who are actually um, monitoring the social media for the companies are, are becoming more of a potential strategic tool is that this is a great way of finding out information about what people don't like about you and feeding that back mm-hmm. in, one of the I, – I refer to essential truths of the IoT, and one of them is that instead of it's sort of like the flow of information within the corporation, that it can't be linear anymore. It needs to be cyclical. And so part of the deal is, you know, like, I think it's great that um, companies get this feedback because in the past – when you think about how hard it was, for example, for disgruntled customers uh, to uh, let something uh, be known, um, you would only hear about how your products were doing in the field from those who were most disgruntled because they um, they were willing to put up with all the different barriers to get through to management about. And I think you got a distorted view of things. And now... Um, you can find out quickly what the issues are, and hopefully, by having this cyclical flow of, of information, feed that back really quickly to the product designers. GE has you know, made a major commitment to the IoT, and one of the things that um, they have said about where it's really made a substantive change in their operations is that they're able to really change the product development cycle now because they are, they're they're getting the products out quicker than they did in the past, and then they are reacting quickly to any kind of negative feedback or positive feedback. You know, I'd like, uh, you know, this is great, but I'd like some additional feature. And um, so they are doing much more rapid upgrades in things. So it's a, another one of those examples where you need an attitudinal shift to go along with a technological shift, and really is a, a whole new ball game
0: thank you Very and i 'm going to raise <laughs> I'm, it is and i 'm going to raise the bar we 're almost ready for predictions i 'm going to give you each a minute, but Ira Burke, I found another gem here in your notes, and you 're talking about we can derive data from sensors that do not even exist now you 're scaring me, and you 're talking about the concept of a virtual sensor network why don 't you just give us a one minute overview of of how exciting or scary this is going to be, Ira.
4: Uh, Yeah. So if you think about the evolution of IoT, right, it starts out with putting sensors on something you need to measure, right? So it's very, Mm -hmm. um, very hardware oriented, very application or task oriented, right, dedicated to a particular purpose, justified because of a particular purpose. Uh, But what happens when this starts to explode, not just in the number of things being measured, but the number of things being measured in the same place, right? And so now you've got multiple sensors for for different applications, maybe built in different ways, maybe fighting over the same territory. At the same time, you've got new applications, new things that you want to know, and maybe you don't have a dedicated sensor for that purpose, right? And so what's happening is the software and the standards are starting to evolve now to create this idea of a virtual sensor network, putting together the sensors that are there, combining the information and then asking new questions that maybe weren't anticipated when it was created. So uh, one of the examples that I saw is uh... if you have uh... let's say that you have a remote area where sensors are few and far between but there are seismic sensors in the ground to check for earthquakes and there's weather data maybe not coming from sensors at all but just coming from meteorological databases Um, you can start to put that together and you can know when there's a high danger of a rock slide for example right so uh... based on getting information where the sensor you would have put there isn't there um, but you can start to um, to assemble a virtual sensor from the data that's coming from what's already present in the environment. I think that's another really important trend, and I think that's going to be another accelerator, another source of exponential growth for the kinds of data that can be generated from IoT, where it starts to outstrip even the sensors that are being put in place.
0: Interesting. Interesting and still a little bit scary. Thank you. I've been watching way too many cyber shows and CSI shows, and you know, there's no place we go, no place we drive, no place we visit, or nothing we do that isn't caught somehow on some camera, or as you're saying, a a confluence of different sensors that don't even exist on their own, but putting everything together. It it is scary. You always have to look good today, David and David and David, and I. I think you always have to look your best whenever you go anywhere because somebody has the potential to. To see you on camera doing something whether it's for good or for bad i rest my case it's time for our predictions round let's see how good we can look on the predictions round david stevenson i'm going to give you exactly one minute that's 60 seconds can you fast forward this conversation to the year 2020 or what do you see in the birthday crystal ball david so why don't you predict <laughs> for us
2: go <laughs> i'm going to pass on the birthday one but um uh, I, um, I I think what we're going to see, then, is an era of unprecedented precision in all sorts of things. You know, in the past, because of this lack of information, we had to approximate. And things, um, particularly, say, for example, in manufacturing, different aspects of the uh, supply chain, the assembly line, and the distribution network, Operated somewhat in isolation from each other, and we talked about you know just in time manufacturing baloney, um, you know we just n- had nothing like that, and now we 're going to be able to have this ultimate precision by coordinating sharing of the information and that is absolutely critical because of the um, issues of for example, um, global warming. We have got to have more efficiency. In production and use of electricity and in um, all sorts of human activities, and I think the IOT is going to be absolutely uh, essential to that and is really going to change everything for the good.
0: I like for the good. we'll go with that. David Yonker, predictions one minute go
3: Yeah, to build on what David's saying, I, I think that we will see a lot a lot more precision. Um, from companies, in terms of how they they make sense of data, make decisions, that kind of stuff, how they even understand who their consumers are we 'll see a lot more automation um, but i think we'll by twenty twenty I actually think we 'll start to see um a uh, sort of a counter trend that says, "Hey, you know." if you want a high high value uh personal uh human interaction you know these are the places to go uh, and uh it will be a, a sort of a value add um it, very controlled, mind you, right? But high value add where you're interacting uh, with individuals. I think on the internet side, in terms of the Internet of Things, um, I, I think there's a a lot of shifting that still needs to happen um, in terms of uh, maturing of how um, how IT departments build these kinds of infrastructure. Uh, I think uh, there's some uh, uh, some naive approaches in terms of how we're going to be able to manage all of this data, you know, across this public infrastructure. Uh, and, uh, this sort of centralized approach that a lot of people sort of think about, uh, in terms of, uh, the analysis of that data has got to shift. I, I don't think that's going to last. That'll be a much more distributed architecture.
0: Thank you very much. Ira Berg, predictions, one minute, go.
3: So I think, uh,
4: just from, from what we've, what we've heard in, in today's discussion and before, um, we're really starting to raise the bar. On what's expected of uh, of managers, of people running companies, of people making business decisions, um, that there is a lot more precision and there's a lot less room for making um, decisions or taking actions that are based on uh, on gut feel. Um, a good gut is also important, but now it's important so that you're asking the right questions, so that you're gathering the right information, and so that when you want to move in a direction, you find the information that supports you, the information that calls it into question, and can use it to. Make make ultimately better decisions. I think we're going to see much more data-driven activity, data-supported, and decisions that aren't supported by the information that's available are going to be called into question more than ever before.
0: Thank you. Quick question for you, Ira, before I close. Are millennials driving? Are, are they sensor-happy? Are they driving the creation of more sensors, or is it coming from people in companies all over the world of all ages? Quickly, yes or no? Uh,
4: um, yes, I think they're uh, they're certainly consuming them. Right and being ah, creative and have a
0: interesting. And I hope they're always looking good. I want to do a shout-out to our three panelists. Thank you, W. David Stevenson. I put the W back in. You're old enough to earn back your your first initial there. From Stevenson Strategies, hope you had a happy birthday. Thanks for joining us, David Yonker at SAP. Always a pleasure. Ira Burke, what can I say? You're always there when we need you. Uh, let's see, coming up, that's the end of my broadcast week here, but we have a full week, I think five live shows next week, Financial Excellence with Game Changers on Monday, 1 p.m. Eastern. We're going to be talking about RevRec, that's Revenue Recognition, The new combined converged standards are going to be delayed by a year. Have you still started to read the 700 pages of rules? OMG. Tuesday, 10 a.m. will be Digital World with Game Changers as Eastern Time. Tuesday at 12 noon, Industry Cloud Trends with Game Changers. Wednesday, of course, Coffee Break with Game Changers. We're going to be talking about social media, creating measurable business results. And Thursday, we'll be back in this time slot, 10 a.m. Eastern with Future of Business with Game Changers Season 3. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Quick shout-out to our New person involved with sponsoring the series, Mahira Kalim. Kalim, I don't know how to pronounce it, but I'm happy you're on board. Mahira and Darren Crowder and Ira Burke, uh, original sponsors of the series, and Brad and the Business Channel team at World Talk Radio. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. It probably has a sensor in it or two, so don't be surprised. What are you waiting for? And look good. Go out and be a game changer today. Talk to you on Monday on Financial Excellence with Game Changers. (music) Bye-bye.
1: Thanks again for tuning in to Internet of Things with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again on Thursdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.